You're awesome. You're awesome. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Um, well, hey, it is good to be with you all, senior hires, today. Glad, uh, glad to be with you uh, on this Sunday. Okay. Um, by show of hands, uh, who here, big fan of uh, Converse Chuck Taylor All-Stars? Who? Okay. Okay. We got, we got, we got a fan, fan crew uh, here uh, today. Uh, does anyone know, um, anyone know what the shoe was originally designed for? Yes. Yes, they were originally designed as a basketball shoe uh, in uh, first release, I believe, 1917. Um, anyone know who a Chuck Taylor is? Was. Chuck Taylor? Yes. <laughs> okay, basketball player. Uh, yeah, he was in the late 20s, early 30s. Here's uh, good old Chuck Taylor. Uh, he was a semi-pro player. He actually did a lot of... Uh, um, uh, basketball camps kind of to promote the sport. The sport well, didn't really exist a lot or, and was kind of growing in popularity, promoted the shoe as he was doing it. Um, but but the, the Chuck Taylor Converse All-Stars by the late 60s, 70s, it was literally the only shoe worn uh, by NBA players, okay? And uh, talking, talking to my dad who grew up in that, in that era, and he, he, he tell, always tells stories about in his high school, right? Kids would, would jump and beat up other kids to steal their Chuck Taylor Converse All-Stars from them, okay? Um, and, uh, you know, in those days, he was always annoyed. His parents only would buy him, like, the $2 Keds instead of the $15 Chucks, okay? Now, keep in mind, think about inflation, okay? Um, back then, right, the, the $2 Keds would be like the $20 shoe today versus the $15 shoe would be like the $150, $200 uh, shoe uh, today. Now, uh, by the, by the mid-80s, though, there was a lot more competition in, the, in the, that basketball uh, era uh, and in the, in the shoe era, or sh- you know, a lot of different shoes out. Uh, Michael Jordan started playing. Uh, if you've watched the movie about him and Nike and how Nike really started uh, promoting it, him and the Jordan shoes came out, everyone started wearing those. And even, even Magic Johnson, uh, who was paid by Converse, was basically like, man, basically started ragging on the shoe. Um, you know, and, like, and let's be real. Who plays basketball today in this, right? Who, who is going to, I mean, I, for those who like your Converse, I seriously doubt uh, that you play basketball in them. And then, and this led to me in the, growing up in the 90s, uh, the Converse All-Stars were like in the $5 bin at Walmart. They were, they were no longer popular, kind of like only losers, you know, kind of wore them. Um, they were, and, and ultimately in uh, 2001, they filed for bankruptcy. The whole company, Converse, files for bankruptcy uh, eventually they're bought by Nike and Nike has since rebranded the, the Chuck Taylor all-stars, but you'll notice they don't have athletes promote them anymore, right? Now their promoters for it are artists, musicians, things like that, uh, are their promoters and influence, uh, influence of them. And, and I would say, once again, they're cool. Um, and, uh, you know, last year they had their best year ever where over $2 billion worth of Converse all-stars uh, were, were sold. Okay. And 
You know, I could share similar trends for hundreds of different uh, clothing styles, fashion styles, uh, throughout, throughout the years. You know, and, and I'm sure you've seen this as well, where fashion styles come and fashion styles uh, go, and then they, then they always seem to make a comeback, right? Don't understand why certain things make a comeback, but they do. And, and see, what, what seems cool, right, today uh, isn't cool tomorrow, and, and it's really just determined based on what some, maybe some influencers say, oh, these influencers say this is cool, and everybody's like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is, this is cool. This is what we should all be wearing, right? And, uh, and then it kind of just based on what, uh, what some people think, it's this very much moving target of what's fashionable, what people want, uh, what people want to wear, and what is, what's cool, right? Um, and now, this isn't really a, the, this kind of moving target of, of what's cool or what's not cool or whatever. This isn't a really big deal when we're talking about non-moral issues uh, like, like fashion, right? But unfortunately, in our society today, this same trend is, also happens in the area of morals. Um, this movie, Gone with the Wind, released January of 1940, I believe. Um, anyone know why? Maybe one way that this real, this film particularly influenced uh, American movies. Uh, <laughs> that is correct. That is uh, that is correct. Um, the last line of shh, you can put your hands down. Okay. Last line of the movie, uh, Sonny just shared with us. And that was a huge scandal, an absolute huge scandal. People were boycotting it, talking about how evil Hollywood is. How could they release a movie with such a vile word uh, in it? Now, you and I know today, I mean, that's like G, G content right there. Um, maybe they were rated PG, but barely, right? The movie, it, by modern standards, would be considered tame. But we see this in a lot of other areas of morality. Uh, look at like homosexuality, right? Now, when, when I grew up, that would be something people would make fun of you for, right? If you were like, I'm gay, people would ma- make fun of you, tease you. Man, if, if just a small fraction of what people around me said... Uh, were said, you know, people in my school said about, about homosexuality was said today, man, the number of them that would be suspended, expelled, etc. about just what, what was it more of, again, uh, a joke, right? Um, and, but you know, again, like I talked about how some of these are cyclical things. It's not like, well, for all of, you know, all of human history, it was always a bad, it was always a bad thing and it's only something modern. No, you know, in the Roman culture, the Roman culture, homosexuality was huge within the Roman culture uh, of the, of around the time of Christ, right? And these things, morality, uh, just like fashion, might not move as fast as fashion, um, but things are right, and then things are wrong, then things are right, then things are wrong. And this shifting mindset. And the standard of right or wrong, it just seems to be what, what I think is right or wrong, what our, maybe what our collective society thinks uh, is right or wrong. And this raises a huge question. What makes something right and what makes something wrong? 
So at your table, I want you to talk about that for a couple minutes. What makes something right or wrong? And who or what decides if something is right or wrong? Got two minutes, go. Okay, I'm going to pray for us. And then we are going to get started in God's word. God in heaven, uh, we just come before you grateful and thankful for the opportunity we have to gather here together to sing praises to you, to be in fellowship uh, with one another, and we're just really grateful for that, Lord. And God, I, I do just pray as we're starting this new series on Judges, Lord, we would see that you are king, and we would bow uh, to your authority as our creator and maker and our savior and our good, good, good God. Lord, teach us, instruct us. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable and pleasing before you today. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we are starting a new series today, uh, going through, uh, looking at the book of Judges, and really looking at who are you following? Shh. Who are we following? Who are we following? Okay? And, um, and kind of the, the theme for the, the book is, is really the last verse of the, of the whole book, which says this. This is the very last verse in the book of Judges. It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. In those days, there was no authority, no ruler there, and everyone just does what they think is best. Not, you know, not necessarily malicious, but they're just kind of doing, doing what they think is best. There's no standard for cool or not cool, so this is what I think. You know, the influencers uh, say this today and say that tomorrow, and you just kind of go with, with what, what looks good. There's no standard of right or wrong, and you just kind of do whatever you think. Kind of the key point that I want to walk away with today uh, is this. Uh, no absolute authority leads to absolute chaos, okay? No absolute authority leads to absolute chaos. There's a prevailing thought in our, in our current world uh, of moral relativism. Does anyone know what moral relativism means? Yes, Anderson. There is no absolute truth. There is no absolute truth. That, that's part of it. Josh? Okay, yeah, something can be, ooh, that's terrible, Lee, just trying to wake you up. It's really the philosophy that something can be morally right to one person or culture, but wrong to another, okay? Again, something can be true for you, uh, but not uh, for me. And, you know, and our, our society loves to say, well, just follow your heart. Be true to you. Um, people should be free to do whatever they want. And, that, and there is a lot of value to freedom, um, but clearly, there has to be some limits here because what if, you know, what if it just feels right to me that I just come here and punch Landon, right? Now, you know, I mean, it's, it feels good, you know, just, you know, you, you don't feel good about yourself, you feel a little stressed, just, you know, punch Landon, okay? Thanks, Landon. Appreciate you, right? I mean, and so clearly, I, I think intrinsically, we know, thanks, Landon, uh, we know that that can't be true, but that's the way uh, that um, I feel like a lot of our society acts. And the book of Judges is going to tell us what the end result of that philosophy is, okay? Now, uh, help me out. Uh, Israelites were slaves in what country for 400 years? Liam. 
Okay, slaves in Egypt for 400 years, but then God sends who to help deliver them? Karis. Moses, okay? And we got the 10 plagues. We got the parting of the Red Sea. They come out into the wilderness, uh, wilderness period, uh, the wilderness generation. And then finally, uh, who leads them into the promised land? Okay? Who leads them into the promised land? No. Not, not Moses, yes. Joshua. Joshua leads them into the promised land. Okay? They fight a battle at where? Joshua fought the battle at Okay, Jericho. Okay, uh, fight the battle at Jericho. Lots of other battles. They've, they've kind of conquered, the, uh, conquered a lot of the land. Um, and then comes the period of the judges, which we're going to look at, uh, uh, look at over the, the next several weeks, right? And it, by judge, it just means someone, uh, you know, who is going to, um, you know, when they would have like civil disputes, right? Who's going to judge who, who's right or who's wrong, and then they're going to lead the people uh, at different periods when God uh, called them to. And the period of Judges ends when Israel anoints their first king. Who is the first king of Israel? Drake. Saul. Thank you. Uh, so, ends with uh, Saul. So, the period we're looking at, it's about 1400 to 1000 BC here. And this is just kind of a timeline of the Old Testament here. Uh, you know, we start here with Adam and Eve. Things kind of get bad, really bad with Noah. And then we get Abraham here. And then he has, uh, you know, Abraham had Isaac and Jacob, Joseph. They're slaves here. Moses brings him out of slavery. And then we're here in this period. And you'll notice that it's kind of shaped like a downward spiral here. Then we get to David, Solomon. Anyway, um, downward, downward spiral, uh, this period of the judges. And what happens, and, and uh, Sterling will talk more about this next week, kind of this cycle that we see uh, in the book of Judges, is uh, people kind of just tend to, tend to forget God, right? And they do their own thing, and they start sinning, worshiping false idols. And uh, in response to that, God, uh, God sends some sort of oppression God sends some, some sort of oppression to kind of to wake them up. And they finally cry out to God and say, God, we messed up. We sinned. This is a problem. God sends a deliverer. There's some great battle that happens typically. Uh, they get a deliverance and then freedom. And there's a period of peace that happens. And then they forget God again. Okay, And they just kind of go through this cycle. And really, it's a downward uh, spiral. Last thing I want you to know uh, about... Um, about the book of Judges. Anyone know what uh, language the Old Testament was written in? Yes, Jonah. Uh, that is actually, well, there's like one chapter in the Old Testament equivalent that's written in Aramaic. The other thing I was looking for was Hebrew. Okay, Hebrew. Okay, now, if you talk to a Jew, if you talk to a Jewish person and, and you ask them about the Bible, so what we would refer to as the Old Testament, um, they do not organize their books in the same way that we organize uh, the, uh, the Old Testament, okay? They would, have, they would start the same. They would call the first five books of our Bible the Torah, the law, right? Um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And then they have the next section called the Prophets, and then their final section, they call either the Writings, uh, which includes the Psalms and the historical books like Chronicles. Now, the book of Judges, okay, the book of Judges is not part of that historical section. 
The book of Judges is actually part of the prophet section in the Hebrew Bible, which means it was written to have a clear moral message or a clear teaching, a warning, an instruction to the nation of Israel. He's not just trying to record history here. He's trying, the author of Judges, God, wants us, wants us to get a clear point. And that point is what I believe the last verse of Judges says. In those days, there was no king in Israel, no authority. And this is what happens when everyone does what's right in his or her own eyes. When we replace God's authority with our opinion, with my opinion, or maybe the collective opinion of our society, this is the end result, and this is what happens. Okay, at your tables, got two other questions. How do people today live like they are the authority and not God, and how do you feel like you do that maybe in your own life? Got two minutes at your tables, go. So as we are looking at the book of Judges today, we're actually going to start at the end of the book. Uh, Normally you start at the beginning. Today we're starting at the end, um, and I do really think this kind of sets the stage for what we'll be looking at in the future uh, throughout the series. But we're really seeing the end result of no authority. And just a fair warning, um, the Bible is not a G-rated book, okay? So I just, I throw that, throw that out there to you, okay? So Judges chapter 19, we're going to be looking at Judges 19, 20, and 21, okay? Judges 19, uh, 20, and 21, 19 in particular, starts off and tells the story of this uh, jerk guy who has a kind of wife and he, who he's kind of buying, it's kind of weird, um, and he just, and it just leads to this whole process of a whole bunch of people just doing whatever they think is right in their own eyes. And we see the chaos that ensues. Because as I said, no absolute truth leads to absolute uh, chaos. 19.1 starts out this. In those days, Israel had no king. This flat phrase is repeated several times in these, in these chapters. No king. Now a Levite who lived in a remote, uh, remote area in the hill country of Ephraim took a concubine from Bethlehem in Judah, okay? Uh, Levite dude, he's supposed to be a priest, supposed to be a good guy, um, but he has a concubine, basically a, a woman he just uses for sex. Um, and, and she runs, you know, he's gonna, it's the story is gonna continue. She runs away from him. I wonder why. Um, returns to her dad's house, but the Levite goes back to her dad's house to say, no, 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 and tries to pick her up, which I'm not really sure what dad is thinking in this story, um, why dad even allows her to go with Levite, but he does. And they leave to go back to their home, okay? Um, Or back to his home, right? Um, Now, in the Jewish culture, does anyone know that the the names of the two cities that the Jews would consider the most evil and vile cities? In their their theology, who are the most evil? At Toppin. Sodom and Gomorrah, okay? Sodom and Gomorrah, you can read about their destruction uh, in Genesis. Um, but kind of like today when you ask for, like, uh, who's the first person you think of when you think of evil? A lot of people today would reference Hitler, right? Same way a Jew would be like, I want to say reference something as evil, I would say uh, Sodom, okay? Um, now, they're on their way back, this man and his concubine are on, on their way back home, and they decide we need a place to sleep for the night, right? And they're like, 
well, I don't, the guy's like, I don't want to sleep in a Gentile city. Uh, so we finally walk a little farther. We get to the city of people from the tribe of Benjamin, okay? And unfortunately, these people from the tribe of Benjamin do exactly what the people of Sodom did, okay? Which is, is really painting a really negative picture, okay? These, like, these are, these are like them, them saying, this is what Hitler did. And this town from the tribe of Benjamin does, did what Hitler did, kind of in, in our context, okay? And so they go to this house, and they're staying at a house, and the guys from the house basically come pounding at the door of the house and are like, bring out that dude. Uh, we basically want to rape him, okay? And please don't get, I don't understand what is going on in certain people's minds about why they do this. Um, I, like, I cringe reading this, but here it is. He says, this is what the owner of the house says. Behold, here's my virgin daughter and his concubine. Let me bring them out, violate them, and do whatever seems good to you. But against this man, do not do this outrageous thing. Now, what on earth is present, pr- provoking this dad to say, here, you can, abuse, uh, you can abuse my daughter, you can abuse his concubine, but don't mess with him. Like, I, I, don't, I honestly don't even know what to say. But it's like, oh, do whatever seems good to you. Like, what on earth is going on here? How crazy. I just, I'm just mad. Honestly, I want to take this dad out and I want to take this Levite out and I just want to punch them. I'm like, no, you stand up for them. You don't let people do this sort of evil stuff. You fight them. You do something. You just roll over and they're just like, here, you take them. Do whatever seems good to you, right? Because realistically, we don't have standards, right? It's whatever seems right in my own eyes. That's what this whole, these whole chapters are saying. Whatever seems right in my eyes, I'm just going to do them. And that's what seemed right and best to him, okay? Um, they abuse uh, the women, and this is what we read is this next morning. Uh, her master, that's the Levite, rose up in the morning, and when he opened the door of the house, he went out, out to go on his way. He's just like, okay, it's time to go. And behold... There was this concubine lying at the, th- uh, the door of the house with her hands on the threshold. She's lying, holding on the door, like basically like, please save me, do something. I'm sure he heard junk happen all night and did nothing all night. Again, I just want to punch the dude. And he said to her, get up, let's, fi- let's get going. She's lying there, but there was no answer. She was dead. He just let the woman die be abused all night, and die. Because that's what just seemed right in his own eyes. And see, this is the end result if I just let everything just be right in my own eyes. This is what happens. Now the guy, uh, again, because he just is doing what's right in his own eyes, he takes, the, takes this woman's dead body, takes it back to his house, um, and cuts her up into 12 pieces, also weird. Um, and then basically mails uh, one of the, each of the pieces to each of the different tribes of, uh, of Israel, okay? He mails a piece to each. So, you know, one, person, one tribe may have gotten a hand, one may have gotten a leg. I don't know. Someone got the head. Um, mails a piece 
to each of the tribes, okay? And all the tribes are like, this is weird. And they're like, hey, we should meet about this, okay? So then all of Israel from Dan, that's the farthest north, to Beersheba, that's the farthest south, and from the land of Gilead, that is, would be the farthest east, came together as one and assembled before the Lord at Mishpat. So they all get together. He tells them the story of what happened. He's like, this is why I cut her into pieces and, and sent her to you. And then he says, I took my concubine, cut her into pieces, and sent one piece to each region of Israel and the Herons because they committed this lewd and outrageous act in Israel. Now all of you Israelites, speak up and tell me what you've decided to do. He basically is like, Hey, this crazy thing happened. It's vile. It's wicked. So I just cut her up, sent her to you. And now you guys, let's just see what seems best for us to do. In these chapters, there is zero like, hey, God, what do you think we should do in this scenario? It's just like, hey, what do you think is a good idea here? Um, Now, they decide they should go, uh, they should go kill the guys, the men who did this. And I think that's a good thing to go punish him. But it starts this whole civil war between Israel and the tribe of Benjamin. Initially, Benjamin wins some battles because they kind of have this mountain pass. And you don't have like artillery in those days and age. You don't have planes to go over it. So if you have a thin mountain pass that only a certain number of people can get through, even though you statistically have, don't have numbers advantage, you can hold them off for a while. They hold them off for a while. Then they kind of do the sneak attack. And we finally read this in verse uh, 46. On that day, 25,000 Benjamin uh, swordsmen fell. There's only, there were only right at 26,000 men in Benjamin, all of them valiant fighters, but 600 of them turned and fled to the wilderness of the Rock of Ramon where they stayed for months, okay? 25,000 die, 600 are left, which leads into chapter 21. And so the Israelites are gathered together for four months and they're like, man, we're really bummed that one of the 12 tribes isn't represented anymore. And they're like dead. And, but then they're like, well, there's these 600 guys, but we've all pledged not to give any of our daughters to them as wives. So what are they going to do? So they're going to be, they're going to be done. And they're like, what are we going to do? Again, there's no like, God, what do you think we should do? They just are like, well, let's see what seems like a good idea. And so they start off and like, who didn't come help us attack when we attack the rest of the, rest of the, uh, the guys of Benjamin? Like, well, there's this one town, they didn't come help. Okay, let's go attack that town, kill all the people there, except for the teenage girls, and we'll give the teenage girls as wives to those guys. That way they'll have wives. That seems like a good idea to us. And so that finds 400 wives for the 600 guys. There's still 200 wives short. They're like, man, what are we going to do? I know. Here's the next great idea. Let's have a dance party for all the, all the single girls. Single lady dance party. So they have a big single lady dance party. And then they tell the 200 guys that don't have wives, hey, when they're in the middle of the dance party, you guys can just go in and kidnap the one you want, take her away, and we'll be cool with it because we want you guys to have wives. But we don't want to give you a wife, but we'll let you kidnap one of our daughters. Now, you're probably like, what the heck are these people thinking? Like, what is going on here? What's going on here is simply how the book of Judges ends. In those days, there was no king in Israel. And everyone did what was right in his own eyes. As I said, no absolute authority leads to absolute chaos. One other important thing I want to I make sure we're clear on here. Um, it, 
it never says that these people did anything out of like a malicious intent. Now, the people of Benjamin who started this thing, yes, they, they claim they're evil, right? I don't think these people were like, how could we do the most evil and vile things that people thousands of years later will read and be morally repulsed by? That's not what I think they woke up and were thinking that day, right? Uh, they weren't thinking with a malicious intent. And what, what I mean by that, right? Okay, say, uh, say one of your neighbors is sick, right? And your mom is like, hey, I'm going to make some cookies for, her to be, to, to, for him to encourage him because he's sick, right? And um, you see that plate of cookies and you know it's going to that neighbor and you don't like that neighbor because maybe they yelled at you for running on their grass or they were a jerk to you some, some other time and you just don't like the neighbor. So you know those cookies are going to go to the neighbor. So you take and like you break them up, you spit on them and you just, you just like trash the cookies. That's like malicious intent. Like I don't want that person to get something nice, right? Or there's also the like, hey, I saw a plate of cookies on the counter. I didn't know what they were for. I know I probably shouldn't eat them, but they're just there. My mom didn't say anything. And so I consumed all the cookies, right? In both cases, the neighbor didn't get the cookies. But there's one that was, there was one that was like very much, I want that neighbor to suffer. I have a malicious intent versus I just, you know, kind of went with what seemed right. These people here are just going with what seemed right. But because there was no absolute authority, because I got to say what was right, because we as a collective society decides what's right and wrong, and not a God decides what's right, and he decides what's wrong, he being the standard of authority, this chaos ensues. No absolute authority leads to absolute chaos. And that's what we see from the book of Judges. And not to be too serious here, but before you're like, Aaron, whoa, Aaron, this, this isn't for us today, right? This is just something that happened thousands of years ago. And like, we wouldn't do something like this today. This sort of crazy stuff wouldn't happen today. Um, in 1935, there was a, uh, a surgeon named uh, Igus Moines, I'm probably mispronouncing uh, his name. In 1935, he performed the first lobotomy, okay? Those of you who don't know what a lobotomy is, uh, they drill a hole in your skull, right? And the point is they want to sever part of the connection between your frontal lobe and other portions of your brain, okay? And their thought was that this would, that this would cure a lot of mental illnesses, Right now, some of them were severe cases of like schizophrenia and things like that. But they would also use it to treat depression and anxiety. Okay, you were depressed. Let me drill a hole in your head. Let me cut part of your brain, and that's going to somehow solve your problem. And before you're like, who would believe this? It came very popular in the U.S. in in the 1940s. Over 60,000 were performed in the United States alone. Um, this was not even including. Europe. And you guys are smart enough to realize how bad of an idea it is for someone in that condition to have a major surgery done on their brain that left a lot of people paralyzed and things. JFK's sister uh, was one of the more notable ones that had a lobotomy done and she was basically incapacitated the rest of her life. But can you imagine if you're like a, a teen girl today and you're like, I just, I feel just really anxious and depressed, okay? I'm a teenager. I just feel anxious and depressed, okay? 
Not that anyone ever feels that way. Let me drill a hole in your head and cut out part of your brain. That's a great idea. No, we're, you guys are smart enough to realize that's probably not a good idea. But you know what you're told today? You don't feel good. You're depressed. You're having issues. You know what I think your problem is? You're actually a boy born, born in a girl's body. And, and this is the solution we have for you. We want to permanently cut off body parts of, of teenage people, right? We want to give hormones to teenagers to somehow deal with their depression. And, and I'm not minimizing that the people have very legitimate issues, right? The people in the 1940s that were getting that part of their brains cut out, right? They had very legitimate issues. People today, there are very legitimate issues. And I don't want to minimize that. I pray you hear a heart of compassion. Man, people that are, that are struggling, man, we want to care for them. We want to support them. We want to love them. But cutting out things is not the way to love them and not the way to care for them. That is doing irreparable damage and change to their bodies, and I don't think people are doing it with malicious intent. Remember how I was talking about that earlier? It's just, this is what seems right in my own eyes. And no absolute authority leads to an absolute chaos. And I do think in generations to come, people will look back at this generation and say, what the heck were you doing? Because we don't have a standard of absolute authority. What, what's true is just whatever I believe or whatever our society believes, whatever some influencers on TikTok say they believe. And no absolute authority leads to absolute chaos every time. And I know, that, I know that's weighty and I know that's heavy. And please, 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 I want you to hear me. If you're struggling with anything related, related to transgender stuff, non-binary, anything in that arena, I want you to know I have a huge heart of compassion there. Look, I understand a lot of these struggles are very real. A lot of issues are depression, anxiety, all these mental health things. They are very real. And I would love to talk with you. We have other people, counselors, that would love to talk with you about that. And I'm not saying, man, you're a terrible person, you're a weird person. No, you're a real person who the God of the universe skillfully, wonderfully designed and created, who loves you. He sent his only son to die for you. He's not angry at you. He's not like, why do you think that way? You're a terrible person. No, he has arms of compassion and care for you. And I pray that you know those arms of compassion of a God who cared so much for you. He was beaten. He was, he bled. He died on a cross for you and for me. That's how much he cares for you. He's like, let me take that pain and suffering. And I pray that you would know that and you would rest in that. Love, I, I pray you don't hear that I'm trying to condemn anything here. But I do see when we don't have this absolute authority, it leads to absolute chaos. And I think the problem, the problem with me being the authority is simply this. The heart is deceitful above all. Beyond cure, who can understand it? My heart is full of sin. 
Your heart is full of sin. It's a mess. But there is good, a very good, absolute authority out there. And that is the God of the universe who loved you so much and he loved me so much that he sent his one and only son to live a perfect life and to die on a cross for your sins and for my sins. And just like, I mean, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane was God, if there's any way this, this if, I, if I could get out of this, I would love to not have to die. But Father, not my will, but yours be done. And that submission that he had to authority, his authority, God, is huge. And he lovingly did it for you and for me. And I pray because he did that for us, we would be able to trust him. Okay. Pay every attention, please. Hey, hey, hey uh, can, you, can you put up the verse in Proverbs 1-7, please? Uh, I think I left that slide in there. Proverbs 1-7. There we go. Proverbs 1-7 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. What this is talking about is not a fear in terms of like, oh my gosh, I'm going to die, but a respect and awe. Pastor Jim Sup, who you guys heard in the main service last week, talked about uh, this exact principle, that it doesn't mean that we're afraid, but there's a respect and an awe for God. And that's one of my prayers, one of our prayers for this whole series, as we look at the authority of God uh, and, what, and really look at who we're following, that we would follow the one who is the creator of all, who knows all, who died for you, who cares for me, who rose from the dead, and worship him. So we're going to end uh, singing the song, King of Kings. I would pray that you would make this a prayer as we are singing, uh, as we're singing the song. Make this a prayer to the Lord of saying, God, you're king. You are above all, not me. Thanks.